What's going on, everybody? This is Matt, one of your co-hosts here at Cinema Central. What we have for you today is a review for Dune that was released in 1984. So sit back, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Dune is a sci-fi epic directed by David Lynch. It was released back on December 14th, 1984, and it's based off a series of books sharing the same name. It's set in the very distant future. There are still some ties to um, like Earth and stuff like that, especially if you read the books, because they bring up something called the uh, Orange Christian Bible quite a lot in the books. But it tells a story of bloodshed and revenge dealing with two noble houses as they fight for control over a wonder drug called the Spice Melange. The film centers around one young Paul Atreides, portrayed by Kyle McLaughlin, as he survives the harsh and buried planet Arrakis and seeks revenge on those responsible for killing his father. So, why did I pick Dune? As I stated earlier, it's, a, it's based off a series of books. Actually, based off like the first book in the entire series. And last year, I really got into them. I grew to like Paul. Um, his maturation is, is fascinating. He goes from just a simple boy to a messiah. A vengeful messiah, actually. Known as Muad'Dib. And he sparks like this bloody jihad that sweeps across the entire galaxy. Where people... Basically, his army, his religious zealots that basically have created a religion around him, killed billions and trillions of people from world to world, from place to place. So with my newfound love for the books, I wanted to kind of see how true the movies were to the source material. But the crazy thing is the journey from book to movie was just cursed beyond belief. And really, the story behind like the movie adaptation is a, probably a little bit more interesting than the movie itself. So first, the rights were acquired by excuse me. So first, the rights were acquired in 1971 by Arthur P. Jacobs. That's the person responsible for the Planet of the Apes, and probably one of the greatest scenes in cinematic history. You know, Charleston Heston's like staring at the uh, the head of the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, and blew it fools. up. You blew it up. You damn dirty apes. All right. And so I didn't know that though. Yeah. I mean, the rights were kind of like, oh, yeah, the hell. That's actually, dang. You know, that would almost make it seem like the perfect marriage. Yes. If he would have got his hands on it. Oh, but he didn't get to do anything. Because he died three oh, years after that. That is so tragic. He died three years after that. And so it gets better. And it also, well, the story gets a little bit more convoluted. It goes to Alejandro Dororski. If I'm saying that wrong, forgive me. And his ideas for Dune were absolutely grand. And ambitious might be too light of a word to describe what he wanted to do. He wanted Pete Floyd to do the entire soundtrack. That would have been really trippy. That would have been extra trippy. Just especially if it was released at the time and everybody was on something like that. Oof. Like, even the design for the... Okay, so basically this, now that you mentioned that. So now that you say that, there's a there's a documentary called Jordorowski's Dune that details his ambition. And the first thing you see as far as the cover, it's like this psychedelic spaceship that's just tricked out with like these orange and purple colors. Like it really does look like a Pink Floyd inspired LSD trip mm-hmm. when you look at the front cover. He even enlisted the help of H.R. Geiger to work on things like the steel suits, the environments. So the man who created Alien, or at least the xenomorphic Alien, Almost had his hands wrapped up in Dune. Now that would have been interesting. Now that it it doesn't stop there, actually, when it ties to Alien. Jordorowski's plan fails. Blows up in his face, canceled, you know, it, it cost too much money. It was in the gajillion dollar race. So it just it just blows up. 
And then they hire Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott was hired to direct Dune. Just imagine that movie. Now, then once again, imagine if Ridley Scott would have got his hands on it. Especially back then when he was at the height of his power. I mean, I'm talking about him like he's the Dark Lord Sauron. You know what I mean? Well, he's <laughs> <laughs> Basically, one film to rule them all. One, one film that binds them. <laughs> and somehow the alien one through four, like the Nazgul's. Okay, so now we're getting into now we're getting into other stuff. Just instead of they're like calling Scott, it'd be like that weird screen that you hear in Lord of the Rings. Oh God! <laughs> and so. Now I want to go back into how this how this adaptation of this book is cursed. So Ridley Scott's brother dies when he's working on Doom, and he drops out. How far did he get in the um, doing it? Does it say? Mm, no, I've never looked to see how much. I think he. I think a lot of this stuff happened maybe before pre production even began. Okay. But I think. I think if I'm if the timeline's right, and if I'm wrong, somebody please correct me. I think if the timeline's right. He gets hired on. They get in the talks, get everything going, and they're mm-hmm. about to start doing it. Then his brother dies. Mm-hmm. Then he drops out. And then right after that, of course, Ridley Scott goes on to direct. Blade Runner. Which is another epic sci-fi film that I actually was going to consider to do today. And the crazy thing is how Dune is so intertwined. The, I forget her name. Let me see if I pull it up. Sean Young. She plays Chani in Dune. Mm-hmm. But she was also the, oh, what's her name? She's in Blade Runner. Huh. <clears throat> I find that she's pretty much the love interest of Harrison Ford. I know her oh, name. Rachel. Rachel. Thank you. How, she was Rachel. How come I don't know that off the top of my head? It is a mystery to me. Then David Lynch gets it. And then shortly after he gets it, filming begins. The movie releases and it goes downhill from there. And in my opinion, or at least even David Lynch would say, a lot of the movie was left on the cutting room floor. There's actually a rumored five-hour cut of the movie. So that goes to show you how much was taken out. And from what was left over, it was just mashed together into what some might call an absolute mess. Especially the television version, because you know how it was back in the day. Something would release in movie theaters, and then eventually it would make its way to television screens. Mm-hmm. It was so bad, at least the movie adaptation the movie adaptation was to TV. It was so bad that Lynch wanted nothing to do with the film. He forced the studio to basically strike his name from the record. And his directing and writing credits were replaced by Alan Smithy and Judas Booth. So he wanted nothing to do with the TV adaptation. Dune basically failed at the box office. So what happens after that is in the year 2000, a miniseries was created by the Sci-Fi Network. It is probably considered to be the best adaptation of Frank Herbert's work. Now, if everything goes well, we'll get another adaptation of Dune this year. Directed by Dennis Villanueva, the man responsible for directing Sicario, Blade Runner 2049, so once again, another Blade Runner uh, connection to Dune. The cast is also the cast also has some heavy hitters. Jason Momoa is going to be the Blade Master, Duck in Idaho, big part of the books. Josh Bolin is going to be Gurney. They got Batista, Zendaya, Timothy Clemente is the young Paul Atreides. I haven't really seen too much of his work, but everything does look good on paper. So hopefully this one isn't cursed. Well, technically it is cursed because this movie is releasing. In 2020, which is the year of the pandemic. COVID-19. So, in a way, the movie is cursed. In a way, it's almost like Dune. This is definitely fighting an uphill battle. But, if you think about it, what other film 
trilogy that is very well known and was a huge success that was also considered unadaptable to film. I'm drawing a blank here. You mentioned it like earlier. Lord of the Rings? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was uh, doomed to be like produced because they were constantly trying to find an adaptation for it. And no, every time they ever done it before, they never could get like a faithful adaptation or they couldn't get people to work with it. And it was actually shopped around by many studios when it first came out. Peter Jackson almost thought he was never going to make the movie because he wanted to do a all three movies back to back. But no studio wanted to take that chance. Mm, yeah. And every studio basically said no. So, hey, you know, hopefully. Maybe. Yeah, hopefully. 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 It works out. And, then, you know, another thing that you mentioned, another thing, it's kind of ironic that you considered Lord of the Rings as like a, as a joke earlier because the connection with Dune and Lord of the Rings is very, very similar. And the fact that Dune is considered to sci-fi what Lord of the Rings is considered to fantasy. Very true. Dune pretty much, Dune is what the inspiration for Star Wars in and a lot of ways. It even inspired Alien too yep. as well. Um, so Dune is a big inspiration when it comes to like all the sci-fi genres just like Lord of the Rings did with just about every fantasy movie that deals with elves. Almost every single one of them. Like video games, any kind of Lord, like I think isn't Dungeons and Dragons basically based off of like Lord, uh, Lord of the Rings? I'm not too much big into D and D history, but there's so many similarities. Like, uh, no, so no, I would sure be surprised. Yeah. Oh yeah, I would not be surprised at all. And so Dune was Dune was a box office flop. It cost about forty five million dollars to make, and it pulled in about thirty one million domestic. And at the time of the release, no one liked it. So let's look at some critic reviews. This one is about Roger Ebert. Hmm. I've heard that name before. Exactly. Okay, so... Oh, did he really give it that review? Yeah, he did. So let me, I'm going to tell, tell you what he said. So oh, this is from Roger Ebert. He it, did not hold any punches. He, he did not. It took Dune about nine minutes to completely strip me of my anticipation. This movie is a real mess. An incomprehensible, ugly, unstructured, pointless excursion into the murkier realms of one of the most confusing screenplays of all time. Even the color is no good. Everything is seen through a sort of dusty yellow filter. As if the film was left out in the sun too long. Ooh. So, so it ain't that one good, Chief. He, he wasn't a fan. Uh, so here's the next one. This is from uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times. Several of the characters in Dune are psychic, which puts them in the unique position of being able to understand what goes on in the movie. The plot of Dune is perilously overloaded as is virtually everything else about it. Not all of the overkill is narrative or decorative. Even the villain, a flying pustule-covered creature, has more facial sores than he absolutely needs. Some of the common complaints that you hear from other reviewers state that um, the special effects are bad. It's hard to understand the names. And in a way, I can see that criticism Mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of times they refer to Paul in the movie as uh, Kwisat Haderach, right? Right. There's no... That word is not used in any other form of media outside of Dune. Uh, Benny Gesserit, that that word or that phrase is not used in any other form of media, movie, book, outside of Dune. That's the only place you hear hear that stuff. And so if you're hearing that stuff for the first time, Without any explanation, yeah, you know, some of that stuff's going to be, you know, you're not going to understand what's going on. And so I think that kind of played a lot into the confusion as well. So, Ed, I'm going to ask you a couple questions, man. Okay. I'm ask you a couple questions. <clears throat> so what did you like about the movie? All right. Um, well, one of the things I did like about the movie, um, I did think that the, the cast of characters is very interesting. Like I said before, too, when um, in my Alien review, when I talked about the world that um, it looked like it was lived in, it looked like that as well. Even like on the royal side, 
And like the, the king, like the um, the throne room at the beginning of the movie that was like all in gold. Mm, yeah. It wasn't like shimmering, shining gold. It was kind of a dull color, which I know they probably at a time, they use that as a way to, um, that's actually a film thing they do to get away from the effect of like reflections so they don't show the crew when they're filming scenes. But because of that, that limitation of that time, it gives it more of a like, yes, I'm royalty, but like I have been royal for a while and gold's not going to be shiny forever. You got to polish it. Very true. Keep it, keep it shiny. So the fact that his entire throne room is kind of a dull gold proves that it's been lived in. It's been there for a while. It just it wasn't just created. Even though he may have people that polish it, he just didn't feel like polishing it that day. You know, and that um, and it's funny that you say that, man, because reading the books or even looking at some of the prequels that his son has done after his death is that entire world is lived in and has been lived in for thousands of years. Like, just that whole backstory, going to the first jihad Mm -hmm. uh, that you read in the books, uh, dealing with the noble houses, just stuff like that. So I can really see that. You know, now that you point that out, I I can really see that because the history of Dune is uh, deep, man. And if you never read the books, I I encourage anybody to read them. Another thing, too, um, speaking of like you were talking about, the thousands of years, I like that it's a property that takes place way far into the future. Way. That we'll never see. (laughs) So there's a possibility that this could happen. And there's like, and I said, the only, and it's so far ahead, the only ties to Earth, literally the only ties to Earth is the Orange Christian Bible, which is only referenced in the books that I have never seen referenced in the movie. So yeah, I didn't. I did see it. There was a lack of that watching yeah. that movie. So it's so, like you said, it's so, it's so super far in the future. And so I guess you know, once again, that gives you if, if once you go that far out, there's so many different things you can do, and you're only limited to your imagination. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I appreciate because, like, unlike, unlike with um, Blade Runner, where I think it took place in 2009. Was the year that it took place in? Mm-hmm. I think so. And then 2049, which, you know, we're all approaching that. Yeah, we will hit that. The, the, the Lord spares our life, <laughs> yeah. as I like to say. We'll hit 2049. And I think even in Alien, it was like 20-something. Yeah, Aliens was in the 2000s as well. Like, early to Like, it wasn't like, the, um, I can't remember what year, but just about any movie. The album, Back to the Future's Future Scene, 2015. Yep. Um, anytime we pass that point, that expectation of seeing that future world that we thought we would see on, on cinema that we did, we don't see it. It's kind of a disappointment, and it kind of dates the film. Then this right here, having it set so far into the future, it kind of makes it where it doesn't feel. It. That's one thing I love about like the Star Wars series. It's set in a galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. It's set in a realm where our, we don't know what time it is, so it's going to be a timeless classic. Because of that. Well, you know, one thing I like, now that you mentioned that before I go into the next question, uh, one thing I like to say about that is um, I think I told you before that uh, I'm a big fan of Fist of the North Star. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times <clears throat> when they tell the story, they say, yo, this happened in the year 1990X, which implies that time stops, implies that the era ends. Mm-hmm. So you don't know how long time stops. You don't know how long the era ends. I mean, uh, when the next era begins, because they put that X right there. So I, I kind of wish they would do something like that in like all sci-fi movies. Especially if you're dealing with a post-apocalyptic exactly. kind of Exactly. Kind of like what they did in uh, Mega Man did that. Mega mm-hmm. Man X. It was like every game that they came out is like in the year 20XX. Yeah. So you never know when the era, the era is ended, you know, and now we're creating our own future, which opens up so much, so much stuff. Yeah, I like stuff like that. So... Um, yeah, go ahead. I asked you this question. What did you hate about the movie? I, there's a few things I didn't like about this movie. Um, the pacing was a little off for me. There was times watching the movie that it kind of dragged. And then there was times where it just felt like we were just there in this location yesterday. The movie actually takes place across many years. But it doesn't feel like that because Paul 
there's no physical change to him from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. He literally, like, you could, like, cut this movie up into different parts and rearrange it and the continuity with Paul, just Paul alone, would be the same. His hairstyle's the same. He doesn't get longer. He doesn't get shorter. He doesn't have, like, any kind of facial hair or anything like that to show kind of, like, a passage of time. He doesn't have anything that really indicates that time passed with him. The only reason why I knew that time passed was with uh, the birth of his sister. That gave the indication of, you know, it being further in time. Mm. It didn't really... Another other than, like, the fact that, you know, Picard... He got he had a little bit of a little kind of rat yeah, yeah, going on there. Going on. Yeah, that shed some yeah. passes of time there, but like Paul didn't have any kind of indication, and I'm not saying he had to, but it just didn't. It just felt like it was all like in a, the, a span of like a few days. Mm-hmm. But if of you course, go, it was a span of years. Yeah, like because obviously it had to be because you know he had to train that all those people how to do things. It just didn't feel like it, and that's probably will come into effect where like um the rumored five hour director's cut. There may be something that kind of, that would get that kind of a better fleshing out. I just feel like the pacing at times, like the it didn't drag too bad. It just felt way too fast. Like there was not much, enough time to slow down to kind of get the characters to breathe and kind of like mm-hmm. let the let the audience know what's going on. You're kind of like thrown into something. Boom, what's going on? Boom, what's going on? That was probably my biggest thing. Um, the other thing, uh, limitation of like technology, which it couldn't really help. Yeah, I couldn't do nothing about that back then. Um, they definitely felt like they were trying to like mimic Star Wars there. When it mm-hmm. come to like, they were trying to make a they were trying to make like a Star Wars two kind of thing. They were trying to get that trying to make that lightning in the bottle again. If this what it felt like, I felt like instead of it being like you know what inspired Star Wars, it kind of felt like it was the movie was being inspired by Star Wars. You know, it kind of, and I'm gonna touch on the two things that you, that you said you just like. This version of Dune, cause it builds up, uh, it builds up just enough, and then it's over, and mm-hmm. they cram in so much stuff, like in the last, you know, we talked about the age progression. They try to cram, let's just say, four years worth of story, in twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't fit. And and the thing about it's ties to Star Wars, I feel like it tried to be the reverse Star Wars. Like, you know how in Star Wars it's like, all right, I need to get to this planet. I need to get to this planet. I need to get to this planet. Right. And Doom feel like, okay, I need to get everybody here. I need to get everybody here. I need you to get off your planet. I need you to get off your spaceship. Nobody has to go to Doom. You need to come here. You need to come to Arrakis. Like, you need to come to the center of my universe. This is the center and I'm pulling you in instead of trying to go find the silly universe. But then, you know, that's that may be even a criticism of the books itself or how it's portrayed. Because even in the books, Iraq is is essentially the center of a universe until uh until somebody blows it up. But that's like eight books away. Okay, hold on. <laughs> is is Arrakis the name of the planet? Yeah, Arrakis is the name of the planet. They just call it Dune. Because it's a desert planet. Desert planet, yes. Okay. So why did that? Is it just a nickname? Basically, uh, that's what the the Fremen or the Fredikin, the uh, the people that Paul teams up with. Mm-hmm. That's what they call it. That's what Paul calls it. Uh, it's just you know, it's it's like a nickname that becomes your official name. Right. And so I mean, like that was my main criticism. Uh, it's just the pacing was not the best because it just was too much going on. I, I felt like it needed room to breathe. They tried to push too much in like a two-hour movie. Exactly. So, we talked about Dune's past and its process to becoming a film. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think might have been if really Scott stayed on as director? Well, that's kind of actually why you were talking about the really Scott stuff. I actually kind of looked it up a little bit. And from what he was going about, it looked like he had a good idea. He was wanting to do a, basically break it up into a two-part film, mm. which is basically what um, the new guy right now, yeah. And I think that would have been a better way to go about it. That would have gave, uh, not only would it gave the time for the audience to kind of digest the, the movie itself, 
but you can kind of build up to like you know this one part give the, you can build up the first half being like the build up then the second half you can kind of actually because you know actors are going to change anyway of course yeah that would gave the aging effect that I was looking for to kind of like distinguish like the time period gap between like the you said it was four years uh no uh you talking about from the uh no, you're talking about from the from the time Paul got to the planet until he became uh, Muad'Dib. Yeah. Um, That's probably more than four, though, because it's, it's like six years. Because his little sister was a little bit older. Exactly. Than it's it's like six years. That would have gave you more of a time, like, and plus, you know, kind of like the effect of, like, Star Wars. Um, Let me go back to Star Wars again. The time between um, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi or A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. That little bit of gap in between those times, like released in the film, the the film releases, it gives you um, a sense of like, okay, stuff's been going on while we've been away. Yeah. Kind of like you're like watching these people, like the documentary of them, like the camera stopped, but their lives kept going. I think that approach would have probably been better if really Scott could have gotten on it. I think... Um, I think David Lynch did what he best he could. I feel like I'm not sure was there a lot of studio input with this? The final cut, yeah, the final two cuts, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of studio input. I feel like if really Scott would have been on board, if you know, unfortunately it didn't, you know, didn't happen. I feel like they probably wouldn't have put as much pressure on him. Because he had already, not saying David Lynch was a bad director at the time, because he wasn't. He just hasn't established himself exactly. like Ridley Scott. Ridley right. Scott already done had. Ridley Scott so already many. had the one ring of power. He exactly. was already Sauron. He was already there. He had it. Yep. Like, the alien was his ring. Yeah, alien <laughs> was his ring. Like, I mean, who else would, I mean, I could definitely see that would have been a good thing. Um, I'm kind of Interested if uh what is this guy's name? I can never say the new guy's name. The one that the did new, uh, uh, the one that's doing Blade Runner that did Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Yeah, um, what's his name again? It was uh, oh, it's so um, hard to pronounce. I'm trying to say this without sounding like a complete uh, utter idiot. Um, but it's uh, let's see. Well, Dennis is Dilla Villanue Villanueva. That's just what I'm gonna say. I'm sorry, Dennis. Uh, forgive me. <laughs> I just wonder, like, if he's gonna get any input from Ridley Scott. Maybe like, because you know, I'm, I know he kind of worked with him a little bit with uh, 2049. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he'll kind of like work with him or see if he what his his approach was gonna be. Maybe we'll kind of get like an idea of what Ridley Scott was kind of doing. I, see, I don't think he'll get. Um, I don't think he'll get any input from Ridley Scott. I think he'll get more input from Frank Herbert's son because his son's still alive. Uh, it's, it's his son that somebody else is working on the uh, working on a set of books at this moment. So I don't think he. It's his son and somebody else. Yeah, there's yeah. like two people. It's He's two co-writing. Yep. Yeah. So I don't think he would get any input from Ridley Scott. It, but then again, you know, people in that in that in that world that that focus on those genres, especially directors, they do get ideas from each other. Yeah, I just I was kind of curious because I would love to have seen like what Ridley Scott would have done mm-hmm. with it. I think, uh, like you said, I, I think David, you know, I'll touch on this in a second when I get my official uh, review, is that I think David Lynch did a lot of stuff right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, say if Ridley Scott would have gotten a hold of it, the two movie idea is the best idea. Definitely. I think what Ridley Scott would have done, what didn't happen in David Lynch's movie is that he would have spent a lot of time working on the relationship or showing the relationship of Paul, his mother, his sister, and Chani. Now, there's one scene that they show in the sci-fi series. Uh, There's one moment of Dune they show in the sci-fi series that they don't show in the movie of Dune. And is that Paul and Chani have a child during kind of like what's going on as he kind of matures and grows into his strength as he fully becomes and embraces Muad'Dib. So there's a point where the emperor sends his his elite army called the Sardaukar. They have never lost a battle in his history. And they send the Sardaukar to Dune to find and kill Paul, to hunt down the terrorist Muad'Dib. 
And the Salakar actually kills Paul's infant child. So I think really Scott would have spent a lot of time on that, those connections, those moments. And I think he would have made that disturbing scene truly terrifying. And what I would really like for uh, really Scott to shoot, because I imagine he would do this so well, especially if you look at Blade Runner, mm-hmm. is that when they find out that they, when Paul and Cheney finds out that their son dies, like Paul's in the bed, Paul wakes up, my son's dead. And Chaney uh, just goes through this, these this moments of grief. And she's like, tell me about the waters of your homeworld, Muad'Dib. Reading that and seeing that and having really Scott actually put that on film would probably be absolutely magical. At least that's what I think. But then again, who knows? We may never, we, prob- we will probably never see a really Scott cut of Dune. No, we never will, unfortunately. Unless they do like an uh, anime adaptation, which it wouldn't hurt, you that know. Wouldn't be bad. Wouldn't hurt, you know. I, I'm a, I, I'm I will personally say this: that more things should be animated right now uh, than any other point in time in the uh, history of film. Most, um, I'm starting to notice a big trend with a lot of musicians right now. Um, they're releasing their music videos. They're actually doing a lot more music videos now than they ever done because they're just going to animation. Yeah, animation. Animation doesn't work, you know. It's not cartoons anymore, you know. It's not Bugs Bunny, you know. We passed that stigma. Dune, in my opinion, every movie that's been created in the past ten years can have some shape or form of an animation adaptation. Not saying that those movies are great or not great or terrible. That animation would push it over the edge. I'm just saying that it could be done, and it could be done well. Definitely. Well, I mean, that was um the biggest thing with um Japanese animation. They didn't have the budget to do compete with the big uh, blockbusters like we did over here in the state in America. They don't have they didn't have the budgets to make those big visual grand scheme films like we do. So to compete with that, they started releasing big budget animation films, mm-hmm. uh, Akira or Akia, however you want to say it, which costs less to make. It costs less to make, but it is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. It is like Ghost in the Shell. These are like films that are you can only do in animation. Like they're just that's the only way that they could get to that world and it's a storytelling element and they do have some outlandish stories that can only be told in animation and without them, like they really do push it sometimes. Yes. Yep. And I think that they're wonderful with it. So talk about animations, how did you feel about the special effects in the movie? The special effects, uh I think for the time that it came out, were really good. Um, they were a little questionable at times when it comes to like the um, the some of the like the blue, uh, the green screen kind of effects. Mm-hmm. But like in general, I think it, it it did good for what it had. It really didn't wasn't too like off putting. Like it didn't really take me out so much. Like some things do. Um, I have seen like you know some movies when I'm watching it even nowadays like the effects kind of like throw me out in the movie. I'm like, oh God, that's terrible. Dune didn't really have that much to me um, where it kind of threw it off. It it really was really well done. Um, they did use the budget wisely, in my opinion. I like the, I thought the sandworms were great. Uh, I thought they were the best looking things. Well, maybe not the best looking things, but the sandworms, sandworms were great. The only issue I have with like the Special effects were the, you know, so there's one scene uh, in Dune. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. And after the scene is had, they show the Emperor coming to Arrakis. They show his ship and all the other stuff. Like, actually, they show his ship. It's like golden and maybe four other ships. That was like the the worst of the, um, that was the worst of the special effects. But like you said, it's just a limitation of the time. Yeah. I'm pretty sure when you see that um, in the movie theater in the 80s, your mind's blown. Oh, the same thing with the visual effects of Star Wars. Yeah. Same way with that. Um, you know, nowadays those effects are a little outdated, but at the time that they were they came out, it blew people's minds. Yeah. And so, if you had to give a Dune a review score, what would it be? Hmm. 
I would give it a I give it a three point five mm. out of five. I cause um I feel like the movie itself suffered a lot from like studio input. Um it really broke the director's vision, what he was trying to accomplish. I just the pacing issues about how things were just too quick. A lot of that was the reason why I kind of like. I have that's the only issues I have with the movie. I feel like if it would have gave it more time to breathe, more time to like get what the director wanted, it would have been a, my score would definitely be a lot higher. Okay. But overall, what it is, I like it. I still like the movie. I still would recommend people watch it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Three point. You said three point five. Three point five. 3.5, not bad. All right, so I'm going to get into my personal review. Unlike the critics that I talked about earlier, I really enjoyed my time with Dune. Is it the masterpiece adaptation of the books we deserve? No. But what it does well, it does extremely well. Despite, like we said earlier, it being like this bastardized, just cut up and messed up film. The story is very rushed. That first hour is really detailed. You see Paul. You see Paul's dad, uh, Duke Leto Atreides. Uh, you spend time with Paul's mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, they even introduced the, you know, one of the terms we uh, referenced earlier was the Bene Gesserit mother. And they kind of flesh it all out. They talk about that Paul really shouldn't have been born that Jessica should have had a girl instead to foster peace with House Harkonnen, which plays a big role in the entire movie. And the flow and the pacing is done well. Even uh, Duke Leto Atreides, even Paul's father, like the way he's acted and the way he's portrayed is so fleshed out. And he gives off such a strong presence that you can see why Paul is just engrossed by him you can see why paul is just hangs on his father's absolute words like they really build that up like he built up a father and he built up a son that is truly in love with him and then they go from that to the planet that they start from to arrakis then they start delving into house harkonnen about their motivations about why they want to kill duke leto atreides and destroy the entire house uh, and they really build up the Arconis to be like these mindless and disgusting brutes. And that works so well. And they also introduce Sting um, as Fade Harkonnen. Well, Sting doesn't really get a lot of airtime, but when he's on screen, he pops. He pops. He just commands the whole thing. He really does. That's yeah. one thing I have to give. I, I appreciate his like his take on that. He did real well. Yeah, for the limited amount of time that he was in there, the Sting almost steals the entire thing. Then, like, because he, he, he's even using, like, um, dream sequences to haunt Paul. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And which, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned that, too. Wasn't, uh, I'm sorry, wasn't he, wasn't it supposed to be David Bowie or something at one time, or? No, it, well, it was between him and Dave, David Bowie, and I think they picked Sting. Okay. I, th- I think I think I'm saying that right. I had to do a little bit more homework on that. So no, I was wanting to say because like, I could definitely see David Bowie playing that role. Yeah, he hey do well, man. Mm-hmm. And and everything makes sense. Every made everything makes sense up to the Harkonnen invasion. Pretty much what happens is, is that the um, is the House of Trades makes it to Arrakis. Then they start instituting changes. Remember the, uh, excuse me, the Harkonnens were once in control of, of Arrakis, but due to schemes and plots of the Emperor, where they talk about maybe in the first 20, 30 minutes, as given the House of Trades, they start making changes and the people of Arrakis start to really enjoy and love those, especially Duke Atreides. And then the Harkonnens invade. They were portrayed by one of their closest allies. Then Paul and his mother, Lady Jessica, they escape. And they're on the ship and it crashes in the middle of the desert. And at this point, 
is when the pacing gets completely out of whack. Then it's like just breakneck speed. Paul meets the Fadikins, and then 20 minutes after that, Paul's in full control of the entire Fadikin force. And then 20 minutes after that, Paul fights and kills Sting or uh, Fade, Fade Harkonnen, and then the movie ends. So my biggest issue is that the pacing is so off. It's so off that it takes you outside of the film. And like we said earlier, they should have broken it down into two movies. That would have made everything a whole lot better. And so what I like about doing a lot is just some of these more iconic moments. When Paul wakes up in the middle of the desert after he's drinking the water of life and he screams to the heavens, Father, the sleeper has awakened. Or when he actually encounters uh, Sting or Fade and they have that, their final fight where he says like, hey, give the Harkonnen the blade and let him stand for himself. Those moments just stick and resonate with you. The cast is the all-star. Everybody in that movie, actor-wise, did their job and they did it well. To me, two people stood out the most, which was Sting and Patrick Stewart. Because mm. the few moments, and they're not on screen a lot, the few moments that they're on screen, like they take full advantage of it. And they really just you really focus on them. Uh, when Sting first comes out of that little steam bath, you know, like, oh man, who's this guy in this like futuristic loincloth? He captures that moment when he fights Paul, like throughout the entire fight, where he says, like, hey, who's that girl behind you, Paul? I think she will require some of my special attention after I kill you. And then Patrick Stewart, which has some pretty wild moments. And <laughs> but when he's on screen, he commands it. Like when he's on screen. You look right at him and you can't break away. Now, Kyle McLaughlin also did a great job as Paul. He's probably one of the few things that keeps you watching that movie from beginning to end. Yeah, that's one thing that if they don't if they didn't cast Paul right, then there's there would have been no movie. You would have been just like Roger Eber. You would have been out of there in nine minutes. <laughs> that's I'm wondering, a fact. Did, did he even finish that movie? Yeah, he did. Oh. Yeah, he finished it. Yeah. He already made his mind up in nine minutes, though. Yeah. <laughs> he was done. In nine minutes, he was over. Now, overall, I wonder if he was, like, the whole time he was there, if he just wrote the review instead of, like, actually watched the movie. Maybe after nine minutes, he was like, yeah. I might as well go ahead and get some work done while yeah, I'm here. This sucks. We're going to write this up. I'm just going to do what I got to do, man. Oh, you do is you hear a guy in the back, in the back of the theater, just, like, typing on a typewriter. And then, you know, you got the old one, you just slap that, like, ding. Then you slap back. So overall, my overall rating for Dune, if given in a score today, I have to give it a two out of five. Uh, it was almost a 1.5, but I decided to give it a two for Patrick Stewart and Sting and those iconic moments and the and the good acting that's done in there. A lot of people may say the acting is overdramatic or hammy in a way, but I don't see that. Even there's the more dramatic moments are just done so well. The reason why I can't go higher than the two is because the pacing is off. The movie is a cut up mess. Um, it just, it's just not the adaptation that you think you would get when you read that book and then you see it on the screen. Mm -hmm. you, do you think um, because you've read the book that it affects your score more? I think the biggest thing that affects my score of the movie is its pacing. I think if we would have done if I say two movies, I think if I would have got two movies telling that exact same story, mm -hmm. or if I would have got David Lynch telling me his vision of Dune within two, across two movies, I'm pretty sure I'd give it a higher rating. Now, if I ever get to see this five-hour cut, which I don't think I ever will, yeah, maybe that five-hour cut that is... All, that all is going to depend on how successful this new one is. You got a point there. We might get that two-hour cut. So I think... I think I mean, five-hour cut. <laughs> I think the five-hour cut may may tell a better story if we ever get to see it. But that's, that would probably be the only thing. The, the pacing really kills it for me. A lot of people didn't like, too. And one thing they brought up in the um, in the critic reviews is how they try to explain stuff, like, throughout the movie. Like, you like you know, as you're watching it, you have these moments where Paul doesn't say anything, but you hear, like, these dubs and voiceovers. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, what, what do you say? Uh, my name is a killing word. 
you know, like stuff like that. Oh, yeah. A lot of people didn't like that, but I really enjoyed like those moments. I, I really liked how they how they did that. Um, it's, it's one of those things that it plays better in a book than it does in a movie. Though. Very true. Very yeah, true. That's whenever you're you're crossing uh, medium medias. I think potential wise, I think if you look at the potential of what David Lynch did, I think that movie could have been way better than what it was. True. But yeah, I, I rest. I rest at a two. I won't go in higher than two, um, and that's just me. Even though I know I referenced the books quite a few times, but, you know, just taking the books out of it and looking at what was cut and what was done. Yeah, I couldn't go no higher than that. Uh, what? Okay, so what some people may not like about the movie, but this is one part I really enjoyed, is that after uh, Paul kills Fade. Is somebody magically brings a robe and drapes it over him, <laughs> and <laughs> his sister gets beside him, and he's like, uh, "Oh, they say Arrakis. God says, uh, no, he said it's God created Arrakis to train the faithful, <laughs> and then it starts raining just for no reason. It starts raining, and his sister's like, "Oh, he could do this." Because he is the Queen Sakharai, and then like the dramatic music starts playing. I was like, you know what? They made that part for me. <laughs> they didn't make that part for anybody else watching that. Thinks that part is stupid. But Matthew L. Higgins looked at that part and said, you know what? Where's my cape? You know, <laughs> where's my ring? Where's my ring? Where's my cape? I want to do something cool. as like, hell, man, let me drape this cape over you like a James Brown. Thank you, sir. Every time you go outside and you see the clouds coming up, oh, it's about time to put my cape on. Get <laughs> my, my little sister. Hey, tell him who I am. Oh, he's a queasy hire. Right? Yeah, that's me. Yeah, and bring then everybody in the neighborhood just looks at you like, oh, there goes Matt again. Bring, bring your ties and rain, offerings. Every time it's about to rain. All right, <laughs> guys. Let's start the holy war meeting of 2020. <laughs> Just friggin' jihad. Let's start the jihad meeting. I think the only other thing I didn't like about the movie too. Um, now that you, you just made me remember it was the the way the ending credit was, where they kind of had that really cheesy like. Where they show like their faces yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, it's kind of like a. I, I felt like an old sitcom where they were like turning and they had that weird kind of like smile, like smiling at the camera kind of thing, and I'm just kind of like, oh. Yeah, cause they they all do that, man. It's like a, it's like watching different strokes, you know. Yeah, I was I wasn't different a big strokes, fan of that. World. I wasn't really a big fan of that. I think that kind of gave it a cheesy factor there. It it did, it did. Um, I, I can I can honestly say that, you know. But there's a lot of things about that movie which were cheesy, you know. Like, yeah, I feel like the movie was trying to be serious, but like the approach they took it was just a little too cheesy. Yeah, and like I said I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to that, and I'm just gonna. I'm just going to go ahead and say it's, it's just how they cut the movie. You know, David Lynch, man, David Lynch was, he was so off put by this movie. It was, he was so disappointed in it that he stepped away from directing big budget movies. Now him and uh, Kyle, him and Kyle McLaughlin, like they did a lot of stuff together, actually. So he liked him so much. He put him on like a bunch of his movies, but it's just, you know, you look at it and you think to yourself, if if they were splitting it up or especially if they especially if, if it's a five hour cut, if it's a five hour cut, that's two two and a half hour movies. That's two fleshed out movies that I think that we should have gotten. And I think people would have liked it. But it's weird. It's weird. Oh, but, I did not know that. I'm but, looking at um Kyle McLaughlin's uh kind of like uh, filmography. He did a lot of stuff. And um, he was the captain in a show I watched called uh, How I Met Your Mother, where he was like, and the, the joke was like, his he had a smile, so he, like if he covered like the, the the part of his face where you could see a smile, it was friendly. But then he clipped, brought it down to where you just see his eyes, and it looked like he's gonna kill you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know we brought up. Um, I know we brought this up earlier. About uh, and this may be a question we should ask is I wonder how Dune and even Alien would have looked as an animation. You know, I, when I look at Alien, you remember like the Dead Space uh, anime? Mm-hmm. I think Alien, an Alien anime would be great if I, done I the right way. 
definitely can see something like that. Because that would be truly terrifying. That would probably give the xenomorph a more a more terrifying complexity. And if Dune was an animation, you know, deserts and rocks and stuff like that, man, you know, it's probably not super hard to animate, which that's mostly where you're at. You're mostly in the desert. But I wonder how it would have turned out. I wonder how it turned out. Maybe one day we'll see that. Because if you look at um if you look at Netflix, you know, I think we talked about this the last episode. Like there's just this desire to consume like mm-hmm. so much media and stuff right now. Like say if uh if you look at Netflix, how they did all they did altered carbon, season one, season two, and they did an altered carbon anime. So I wonder if they can really they probably couldn't get the rights for this stuff. That's probably like the biggest thing. Or if they did get them, it'd probably be a jillion dollars. But then Disney owns like half of everything, so they had to be in contact with Disney to get some of the stuff. I wonder how it all turned out. No, oh, I think Warner Brothers owns Disney right now. Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, Warner Brothers owns. Them. Yeah. Um. But you know, when it comes to if you just want some kind of anime adaptation of Alien, yeah, good luck with that. Because yeah. Disney owns that now. There's no way you're prying that from their cold dead hands. No. There's no way. Unless they, which they're honestly don't like they're going to do anything with that property now anyway. But I wonder why they got it just to set on it, though. I don't know. Like, I'm honestly just feeling it was just a, a thing to put in their arsenal for their, like, um, catalog for streaming services. Yep. They really are pushing this Disney Plus thing. Could Disney even get away with putting Alien on Disney Plus? No. They can never. I don't think they could ever do it. Um, Unless they decide to make the queen of Disney princess. Princess. She would be the most beautiful Disney princess, too. Beautifully terrifying. Yes, that but have you know. A gajillion babies at once. Right. You gotta have it sometimes. <laughs> All right, it, so that's a wrap for my review, man. That's a wrap. I know we got our reels there on the back end. Uh, anything else you want to talk about today? Um, I don't. I think we might have a little bit too much we done talked about today. But I would say... um. I don't really have any movie news right now other than we can talk about that another day though. Yeah, we we can do some movie stuff on the next go, uh some news on the next go round. Uh the news has actually been really really slow. Uh as far as you know, because yeah. well, COVID right now COVID, is kinda of yeah. like putting a lot of things. Things slow. It's just more business side of things, like uh what they're doing with Mulan, charging thirty dollars for that. Mm-hmm. Um just and then the deals that they come with AMC about because uh, I think they can come. Well, by the time this releases though, like there's no telling like what's going to change with the move on. Exactly. Stuff. So who who knows at this point? But as far as like new news coming out, pretty much the only thing that we, only news that we get for sure is a lot of production has been delayed. Yes. Uh, um, here's my thought process on what's going to happen with movie production moving forward. They're gonna wait until they either go do. They're going to do bubbles, basically. Uh, they're probably going to make a, some studios going to be set in Hollywood where it's just bubbles where you can only get in and you're in that bubble for three weeks, which is probably going to cause some very, very interesting stories when it comes to these eccentric directors and mm. actors. Speaking of that, though, they've actually, um, I haven't been reading the full article, but there is an article about the production for The Witcher season two, mm-hmm. where how they're having to deal with it with uh, the COVID. What did they say they were doing? Um, some of the stuff that show, like, uh, basically inter- interaction that they're having that's not on screen. Everybody is wearing masks and gloves and stuff like that. Even, like, just to sit down with, like, the showrunner. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're having to, like, wear the mask and everything like that. Because, I mean, let's just be honest with you. Uh, let's just be honest. Do you, want, do you want your movie tied to a lead actor that gets COVID-19 and dies from it? Hmm. That would no, I would not. Nobody wants their movie tied to that. No, um, you don't want because that is uh, God. That might actually be an episode we talk about one day too. God forbid you're shooting a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and he gets COVID, he gets COVID nineteen and dies, and or he gets some type of crazy complication, and that single mm-hmm. moment is tied to your movie forever. Not even just like, not even just say the lead actor like Leonardo DiCaprio, but anybody, any actor. Not even yeah. the actor. It could be just a set designer. A yep. set, anybody that works on that set, if they die of that production, 
there, that movie is going to be. Yeah, there's been movies derailed because stuntmen have died. Yes, that's um. There now you talk about a movie that's uh, where the lead actor died. You know, Twilight is on the movie. Yep. The main cast for Hit got killed in that horrific accident. So it's a lot. It's a lot of things that can go wrong. But other than that, man, I, I think I think we're pretty much got everything wrapped up. Uh, one thing I will tell you guys is, uh, you know, tell us what you liked about it. Tell us what you liked about this episode. Also, tell us what we need to trim out, what we need to get rid of. Tell us what you hate. Tell us anything that can make us better because that's what we want to do. We want to get better. Now, of course, me and Ed are going to be doing things on our own to try to improve quality and uh, try to uh, just work on overall flow like he mentioned earlier. But I said, let us know. But this is Matt. And this is Ed. And that's a wrap. You clapped again. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it. You keep doing it. Oh, God. What's going on, everybody? This is Matt. This is Ed. And we would like to welcome you uh, to Cinema Syndrome. I know this one's going to come in kind of weird. Uh, hopefully, you guys listen to our doing review, and I hope that you really, really enjoyed it. Uh, what me and Ed decided to tack on after this is our reaction to the official Doom trailer that was just revealed a couple of days ago. And we felt it was kind of fitting to uh, add that with this episode. The Doom 2020 or 2021, depending on what happens, trailer. Yeah, depending on what happens. Uh, hopefully it's 2020 so we can watch it sooner, but it could possibly be 2021. Yeah. Uh, due mm-hmm. to what's going on with Warner Brothers, COVID-19, and actually Wonder Woman 1984 might play a part in that. Yeah. But uh, enough mm-hmm. for like the, you know, the technical or the business side of things. Uh, we just really want to kind of talk about the trailer. And if I can lead off and say I thought the trailer was phenomenal if you're a fan of frank herbert's work uh at all this rendition of dune looks to be the best one this is the first entry into a two-part uh movie uh two-part movie series and it's, it's looking great man uh to me it looked very gritty it looked very gritty it looked very dark it looked very to the point um you know i know we talked about in the uh <laughs> In the uh, in the review about how some of the uh, you know one of the reviewers said that it was all washed out and grainy and just just sandy, uh, but color wise this thing has a lot more to offer. Very epic in its own way. I'm uh, just thinking about like what that HDR yeah. is going to look like whenever it comes out, like on um, home home video release. I'm actually kind of excited for yeah, that. It's gonna make it pop, man. So so Ed, uh, how do you feel about how uh, the trailer actually looked? Um, okay, be honest, um, with the trailer, I, I like the way everything's looking, I like, uh, the way all the characters, I like the new, kind of, like, uniform that they're wearing in the, um, series, mm. still looks like it kind of, like, uh, plays off of what they had in the original movie, so you can definitely tell that they're kind of pulling from the source material, uh, I have not read the book, so I don't really know too much about, like, the aesthetics of the suits or what they're supposed to look like. They're still suits, yeah. So I'm not sure about that. But I do like how it looks more clean when it comes to like uh the the costumes. They look a little more kind of cleaned up, more don't look so much like a rubber suit like the ones from the original Doom. I like a lot of the actors they have for the movie. Um, and for this new version, uh, very big fan of like the way all the characters are portrayed. I love like the colors. I love the cinematography. I'm a big fan of the director who I cannot pronounce his name. Dennis Dennis Villanueva. I think I'm saying that right. If See, I'm that's why that I don't pronounce the names because I, I swear I'll butcher it. <laughs> but I love his work like on uh, Blade Runner 2049. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope he pulls a lot of that that he did from that film and bring it over to this one where he kind of has those like long shots of like just getting to see the environment where you don't just see like what's the character and the the set pieces that they're at i want to see some of this like how the environment is i want to see more of like the world that they live in i want to see more of that so i'm really hoping that with his vision because that's kind of like his like trademark from what i can tell is that he'll kind of like deliver on that and i'm Pretty stoked on seeing Jason Momoa in it. Uh, also, very stoked with Batista as well. And Oscar Isaac as well. Yep. He's playing the father. 
And I think it's going to be good. It looks good. I like the color palette. Right. Uh, going off how it looks, uh, it was a couple of things that were very distinctive, at least what you look at in the trailer. Um, the first thing that stands out when you watch it is how Batista actually looks. Batista really goes into like this. Um, if you look at it, he seems uh, this this murderous intent. He really fits the role of the Beast Roban um, that we talked about in the uh, review and that uh, that you see a lot of in the books. So Batista, he looks like he's going to fit in real well. The way these sandworms look, Ooh, yeah. that was really great. They did a good job of of showing how large, how vast, uh, how menacing, or even scary, like the way they look. So that was done exceptionally well. And I really like what I saw from that. So overall looks, I am impressed. And like you said, the still suits look good too. And uh, the, um, also the the shields. They the wear, shields, yeah. They look a lot better because they were like really blocky looking Very in the blocky, original. Like Gumby, you know? Yeah, like almost like the Transformers 80, like the 80s Transformers series, blocky. So I like the way a lot of that stuff looks. I also like you were talking about the worm. It looks like because like the, um, the worms in like the original Dune look like they were really inspired by the... Um, Sand pit from uh, Return of the Jedi. Yes, very true. So the Sarlacc was it the Sarlacc pit? Yeah, that's what it was. The Sarlacc mm-hmm. pit from uh, Return of the Jedi. So I kind of like how they're kind of they got a better art direction. Like they're trying to like pull from the source material, but they're kind of like putting their own spin on it. So I'm really a big fan of that kind of stuff. And so uh, we want to get into first impressions. My first impression of um, as a fan of the original movie, even though I didn't give it the best score. Uh, as a fan of the books, uh, my it was a great first impression. Uh, I really like what they're doing. You know, and uh, also referring back to review, you know, we talked about um, how how if Ridley Scott would have taken over, that he would have done more with Chani, um, which is Chani in the book is uh, Paul's. You know, it's his wife, it's his love interest, um, and one of the first things they do. In the trailer, is it shows Zendaya. They show Zendaya, building her up to be like a very, very important part. Because Zendaya plays Achani uh, in this particular uh, rendition of Dune. And so building her up, showing her first. Well, showing, one of the first things they show is her. So they're really going to show her significance. I, I like that. Uh, Jason Momoa being Duncan Idaho. That's great too. Now, at this point, I feel like we're hiring Jason Momoa just to be Jason Momoa. Yeah, he's feeling like he's kind of getting uh, typecast a little exactly. bit. Exactly. You know, because uh, he, he was, uh, you know, they didn't show much of him, but it's not like he showed a different range. And I guess that's okay. Because, you know, in the books and in other uh, iterations that Duncan, Duncan was very close to Paul. Duncan was very uh, close to Paul. So I'm okay with that. And I do like that in the trailer. They did actually kind of show that. Like you saw that their first interaction of meeting each other from like being like absent from each other for such a long time, so you kind of do get that connection already right off the bat in the trailer. I'm pretty uh, I don't know. I think I think it looks good. Yeah, it looks great. You know, one thing too, why I think uh, fans of Dune are really going to love this, even if you like David Lynch's version, even if you like the the sci-fi series version, the books, or anything like that. Is you know we get like these grandiose like these these great quotes like um for one like uh, everybody knows this one uh, I am not fear because fear is the mind killer you know we got that that was awesome uh, even one of the quotes from the uh, I keep I want to make sure I say this Gallus Helen she's like the head mother of the Benny Jesuit right uh, Paul says my father rules an entire planet she says he'll lose it. He's getting a rich one. He'll lose that one too. So just cool moments like that. Uh, I think as fans of the series of Dune, you're going to love it. And for those who have, have absolutely no idea what Dune is, this is going to be the perfect time for you to get into the series. This is going to be the perfect jump off point. Now, I say this all the time. Anything can be ruined. Anything can be messed up. 
but my overall feel, I, the overall feel, I know it's based off a three minute trailer. I feel like we got almost an instant classic here. That's me very being very optimistic. I'm, I'm being hoping, super um, optimistic about it. How do you how do you feel about that? Ed? I'm really hoping that this is going to be like what we got with Lord of the Rings. Ooh. How Lord of the Rings was like considered unadaptable into film. I'm hoping that this is uh, going to be the final, you know, that version. Yep. Of but for Dune, like because Lord of the Rings is what I think we may have talked about this in the review because it's been a while since we recorded that episode. Um, we talked about how. Dune is considered the sci-fi equivalent of Lord of the Rings. And also going on to the film history of both series, Lord of the Rings was always a series that studios were kind of on edge with and weren't really sure about they wanted to do an adaptation of them. Because the the process of doing it was such a daunting task. Mm -hmm. And... At one point, it felt like it was a series that could never be fully adapted. So I'm hoping this is the case with this new Dune series that we finally have the version that should be, like the adaptation that we deserve. Yep. I feel great about it. You know, I feel great about it. Like, you know, it's just this is very early on. I know that I, once again, I didn't give, even though I'm a fan of Dune, I didn't give uh, David Lynch's movie the best possible score. But just watching this trailer, man, I, I feel great. I feel awesome. Uh, I'm so glad I got a chance to watch that and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Stuff like that is what I live for. You know, I, I live to watch like just moments like that. Uh, and I love, like like I said, once again, those grandiose quotes. Uh, the ship's leaving the planet. Um, the stuff blowing up. Dave Batista look great. Zendaya look great. Oh, oh my the, gosh. Um, the sound effects whenever you hear the worms like moving in the sand. The sound effects from the worm. Like everything about this trailer was done right. I could not have asked for a better starting point for this journey that we're about to go on. So I feel great about it. Uh, I think, Ed, you feel great about this too, right? Yeah. Okay. I, I, feel, I feel very good with it. Um, if I had time, I would love to read the book. Honestly, you but can get audio book. The audio books. Uh, I may have to invest in that. It's but like I, you know, you you ride the work, you listen to it. That's that's how I get through some of my books. I just <laughs> I just mm-hmm. listen to them on the way to work. What is like a is it Audible? Audible is that like a subscription service? That's a yeah. How much is that? I forget. Uh, but hey, don't you worry, because I may be able to hook you up. Ooh. So. Um, I can't hook you up, Ed, because I don't participate in illegal activities. And on that note, for the FBI agent that's listening, uh, we are signing out. And this is the end of our reaction to the Dune 2020 trailer. My name is Matt. My name is Ed. And that's a wrap. It took you a while to clap that time. (laughs) (laughs)